0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. In John chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 22. You'll remember this is after the feeding of the 5,000, and then after Jesus walks on water, that this teaching about the bread of life takes place. All right, and so it says. then, why, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father." Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you... Who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and those who it was or and who it was would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, "Did I not choose you the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And then I want to read verse chapter seven verse one. After this Jesus went about in Galilee, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. We talked last or two weeks ago about the fact that Jesus calls us to believe fully in him, as a means of satisfying our greatest longings, and even though his teachings can be difficult to embrace at times, he ultimately offers us security in eternity, giving us reason to never leave him and So this whole discourse on the bread of life, the the no longer hungering, the no longer thirsting peace is really an analogy for us to see that Jesus offers us fulfillment for our greatest longings, that he is our source of fulfillment, and so he pictures this as bread and as drink. Um, And some of the people get confused about it, some of it find it difficult, uh, and, and rather than seeking answers to their questions, they simply dismiss him and are willing to walk away. And so I told you two weeks ago that we need to recognize the severity of this passage, to be cautious about it, because in this passage we have some who respond by denying their faith and walking away from Jesus, and then others who respond by confirming their faith that even in the midst of difficulty and confusion, maybe around some of this teaching, that it wasn't good enough reasons for them to walk away, right? And so Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so we talked about um, just being cautious with this passage and recognizing the, the seriousness of it, the severity of it, that some people may walk away from this passage. And I think, ultimately the people that do walk away, and it's a a good portion of the disciples here, people that were labeled as disciples, followers of Jesus, they walk away because I think Jesus is talking about God in a way that that makes them uncomfortable. It's not the way that they think God should do things. It's not the way that they think God should operate, And, and Jesus is describing God in a certain way that they don't like, and so they ultimately want to walk away from him for that and so we also talked about the need to evaluate our motivations in life that we don't labor and work strictly for the ability to put food on the table right that Jesus challenges us to have a bigger perspective about the type of things that we are living for Um, back at the beginning of the passage um, he says let's see Verse 26, Jesus answered him, them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And so just kind of a, a, reorient, a reorienting of our perspectives that sometimes we can get really caught up in the here and now and, and the, the way that we go about our life is strictly uh, consumed with the idea of putting food on our table. To, to eat food that, that won't last. And we talked about uh, even the, the best meals, the most expensive meals, the biggest meals still leave us hungering and thirsting afterwards, right? And so Jesus talks about this food that uh, is more important, that is eternal, that satisfies. He talks about us believing in order to receive that food. We talked about understanding this bread analogy, that Jesus is God's provision to satisfy our spiritual needs hunger, and the idea of, of eating Jesus is portrayed here, and, and it kind of causes some concerns for some of the people that are listening to it. How in the world could we eat his flesh or drink his blood? And the idea here is that you, you can't have a casual relationship with Jesus. You can't have some of Jesus, you can't follow him some of the time and not other times, that, that ultimately Jesus is calling for complete submission to him, a complete consumption of him and his ways of life. We talked about embracing the hard passages as an opportunity to grow, Um, that, that there's some difficult things that are said here about how God operates and how salvation operates, and that we have to be willing to struggle with these hard passages and not run from them, and we have to have a desire to have our perspectives changed versus trying to change God's word to say something that it doesn't say. And so we talked about some clear truths that are said here in this passage that whoever comes to Jesus in belief will be saved, That the Father gives certain ones to Jesus and they will come. That the ones that the Father gives to Jesus will never be cast out. So we have some eternal security being described in this passage. The ones that the Father gives to Jesus will not be lost. The ones that the Father gives to Jesus will be raised on the last day. But we see that our salvation is God's will that Jesus came to accomplish. That that there's more about God in this passage in regards to salvation than there is about man that we can't come to Jesus unless the Father draws us to him, that no man seeks after God. And so there's a a work that the Holy Spirit has to do in us before we can ever even come to Christ for salvation, that if the Father draws us, we will come, and that by coming to Jesus, we'll escape death and enjoy life for eternity. So we said that God calls those he has chosen, and all the chosen come, and the chosen are never cast out. And so we said to kind of wrap up two weeks ago, to find encouragement in God's sovereign salvation that unbelief cannot be satisfied naturally no matter how much proof is given. That removes a great burden on us to feel like we have to come up with the best possible gospel presentation to save the most difficult individual that we know. That unbelief is never solved naturally, that something supernatural has to happen, which means one of the, the worst gospel presentations, and by worst, I mean not a distorted or, Uh, heretical presentation of the gospel, but just a poorly communicated gospel presentation can save the worst sinner when something supernatural is happening there, right? When the Holy Spirit is drawing an individual to Christ, the the gospel presentation doesn't have to be articulate. It doesn't have to be uh, earth-shattering. When the gospel is presented We respond when something supernatural is happening there. And so there's a a great burden that's lifted from us as we seek to share the gospel with those around us. The other piece of encouragement here is that the eternal future that we bank our lives upon rests securely in the hands of Jesus, that he will not reject us when we come and he will prevent us from ever being lost. So a big, weighty, meaty passage that we looked at two weeks ago. I really wanna hone in on the last couple of verses today to kind of wrap up chapter six and to move us forward into chapter seven. Because there seems to be a shift here in Jesus's ministry as far as the amount of people that are devoted to him and following him, that there's a, a, a real fall off after this teaching, right? Because it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus looks to the 12 and says, do you want to go away as well? This is where Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Our summary sentence for today is that regularly meditating on the life-giving words of Jesus will help us cling to him rather than wander from him when we are tempted during times of confusion and difficulty. Regularly meditating on the life-giving words of Jesus will help us cling to him rather than wander from him when we are tempted during times of confusion and difficulty. For our kids, we should think about God's word regularly to help us believe in him each day. Regularly meditating on the life-giving words of Jesus will help us cling to him rather than wander from him when we are tempted during times of confusion and difficulty. And I mean more than just reading your Bible every single day, right? What I'm talking about here is being able to read scripture and pull out specific truths to really hang your, hang, hang your hat on, to, to really cling to during times of difficulty. So, Absolutely memorizing Scripture and, and knowing Scripture, but really being able to discern what that Scripture is saying and what that Scripture is meaning. And so part of what I want to do today is to give you what I believe are some words of eternal life that I cling to to keep myself following Jesus. Uh, specific things that I've been able to pull out of Scripture to say, this this keeps me following Jesus during times of difficulty. When, when I'm going through a trial, when I'm going through a, a difficult experience, these are the truths that I come back to. Because to, to walk away from Jesus would be to leave these truths behind, to sacrifice these truths, and I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to walk away from these truths that I see in Scripture, things that, that give me life, that, that bring meaning and purpose to my existence. One of the reasons that I really want to hone in on this passage is because we have a uh, a drawing in the sand, basically, of who's staying and who's going. And I don't want to ever think that we are exempt from people in our own church walking away from the faith um, because we've had that in the past. We've, we've had people who have been a part of this church who no longer follow Jesus faithfully anymore, uh, whether that was because of sin or some type of disappointment in life or, or whatever it may be, there are individuals who were members of our church, who came to this church, who, who don't follow Jesus anymore. And all of us have stories beyond this local church, people in our life that we, we know that have done the same thing. And so I think it's important for us to, to pause and reflect upon this passage, uh, because we are not exempt from uh, people being tempted to walk away and to leave. And so I think as we talked about in Hebrews, the warning passages in Hebrews about not apostatizing, not leaving Jesus. They aren't written there to make us fearful about losing our salvation. They are placed there to keep us believing so that we can't lose our salvation, right? So, so they, are, they are there to secure our faith. And so, this is not meant to say that hey, some of you could lose your salvation, so we got to be careful here. It's more meant to say, hey, here's a real warning passage that reminds us to, to pause and to reflect and to shore up our faith and to to increase our faith and to believe once again that, that Jesus is worth committing to, that Jesus is worth following, right? And so many of his disciples turned back from him here. Not, not many people who were semi-interested I mean, the word disciple is used here. Somebody who was actively following him, who no longer follows him because of this teaching. And so Jesus looks and asks, who else is gonna walk away? Who else is gonna fall away? And Peter says, not me, I'm not going to. We talked, um, I can't remember if it was at the end of Revelation or the end of Hebrews about reasons that people walk away from the faith, right? And I gave you three big ones that I think cause people to question their faith, and to ultimately either abandon it or distort it to where maybe they still show signs of following Jesus. It's just not what we would call faithfully following Jesus. They have come up with new theology or or changed their belief system to accommodate their lifestyle. And, And we said that oftentimes it's tied to disappointment with God and circumstances, that life just stopped going the way that I thought it should be going, and I stopped trusting God that he was working good for me. And so I've walked away or I've changed my belief system about him. A lot of people wander and abandon the faith because of disappointment with God and their circumstances. Um, others are disappointed with the church, Christians specifically. They stop living up to what we think that they should be. And so we, we see hypocritical type decision-making in them. And so an individual may walk away from Jesus, may abandon the faith because Christians in general around them aren't acting very Christ-like. And so they, they lose faith in Christ because of how Christians are acting. And then lastly, disappointment with the Christian life in light of the world's attractions, that following after Jesus and some of the sacrifices that maybe come with following after Jesus no longer feel worth it anymore. That the world's attractions are, are, are strong and alluring and that there's a desire to follow after those things, to seek fulfillment in those things versus finding it in Christ. And so whether it's disappointment with God and circumstances, whether it's disappointment with the church and Christians or disappointment with the Christian life in light of the world's attractions, these are some of the reasons that people leave the Christian faith. But Peter says, I'm not going anywhere because you have the words of eternal life. And so I want to look at what that means today uh, and what it can mean for us. Two things that I want to point out first though. Possessing the words of life doesn't mean that Jesus's teachings and actions are always easy and agreeable to us. Possessing the words of life doesn't mean that Jesus's teachings and actions are always easy and agreeable, agreeable to us. Meaning, Peter's not necessarily saying that he fully understood that teaching there or that he's fully okay with it and doesn't have questions and difficulties with it. He's just admitting, I'm here to get the rest of the story. I'm here to get clarification. I'm here to get answers. I'm not going anywhere, right? Like there's nothing that's been said that makes me leave. Not that I agree with everything or understand everything, but I definitely want to stay and get it figured out. And and Peter will continue to show uh, flaws in, in his character and flaws in his theology. Um, even when Jesus is, is moving himself towards the cross, Peter wants to step in and intervene because that's not agreeable to Peter, the idea of Jesus laying down his life. It's not agreeable to Peter that, that Jesus would wash his feet, right? But Peter's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Even though there's, there's difficulty in some of the things that te- Jesus will teach here and continue to teach Peter, it's not always easy for Peter to accept it. It's not always agreeable up front for Peter to accept it. So possessing the words of life doesn't mean that, that we will always 100% right off the bat agree or find things easy that Jesus is calling us to do or, or telling us to do. Certainly means that we should get to the point where we're agreeing with him, right? Because we see him as the Holy One of God. But Peter is a work in progress. And so as we see Peter's confession here, he's not saying, man, I agree 100% and I'm completely submitted all the time to this. Peter's still working some of these things out, but he does confess, I'm not going anywhere. Even as I struggle with some of these things, even as I find some of these things difficult, nobody else has the words of life like you do. And so Peter's fully committed to staying with Jesus and working these things out. So it doesn't always mean that we're gonna find things easy in Jesus's teachings because he's still working on us and bringing us into submission to him. It also doesn't mean that evil and death aren't lurking and working around us. Jesus has the words of eternal life, but that does not exempt us from evil and death lurking and working around us. We see both aspects here at the end of chapter six and the beginning of chapter seven. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now we don't know when Judas began to be tempted towards this direction, but we know Jesus always knew that this was what Judas was going to do. So Jesus doesn't have to react to Judas's betrayal. Jesus understands it, knows that it's coming, and even includes Judas in his, his close-knit group, giving him the opportunity to do this, right? Because ultimately, Jesus is using this evil for his purposes, right? It's what Joseph testifies to in the Old Testament, that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So Jesus takes Judas, who is evil, at his core, brings him into a situation where that evil can be used for grand purposes for our salvation, right? Jesus is fully aware of this, isn't spooked by it, isn't scared by it, right? He's, he's, he's closely knit with Judas, allowing Judas to be a part of his, his uh, group that's following him around. But we also see that evil can't act until Jesus is ready for it. It says that after this, Jesus went about in Galilee he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So it's lurking and it's working, but ultimately Jesus remains in control of the evil. Jesus demonstrates his ability to use evil for his purposes and according to his timing. So he willfully puts himself very close to the one that will betray him, But he's also very intentional not to put himself in position to be around those who are seeking to kill him until the timing is right. Right? And so he is orchestrating all these events for his big purposes, for his holy purposes. All right, so possessing the words of life doesn't mean that it's always easy, that we're always gonna 100% upfront agree with things that Jesus is teaching us. He's gonna have to work on us at times. He's gonna have to challenge us and break us down and convict us and, and bring us to a point of seeing some of these things. Peter just says, I'm not going anywhere until you do that. There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. It also doesn't mean that we're completely protected and exempt from evil and death around us. The hope and encouragement is that we can know that those things are being used for good purposes that Jesus makes that promise to us and and demonstrates it here uh, in the way that he is bringing Judas in, but also keeping a distance from those who are seeking to kill him actively at that time. Possessing the words of life does mean that Jesus holds the answers and solutions to every aspect of our life. That's ultimately what Peter's confessing here. Where else would we go? Where else would we go for meaning and purpose and answers and solutions to everything that we encounter in life? When Peter makes this confession that you hold the words of eternal life, he is saying, you are my answer to everything. You're my answer to everything, and I'm going to cling to you. I'm not going anywhere. I see you as the solution and the answer to all of life's difficulties, to all of life's questions. To all of life's troubles, you are the answer. You have the words of eternal life. So, possessing the words of life does mean that Jesus holds the answers and solutions to every aspect of our life. I was reading. Uh, I was reading into chapter seven with the intention of che- of teaching into chapter seven, and so I was reflecting upon it on the beach this week on vacation and and was just reading through it. But I kept coming back to the end of chapter six, and this idea of the disciples walking away and Peter not, because of this idea of the words of eternal life. And so one of the aspects that I love about vacation time is that it provides downtime, oftentimes to think and to meditate in ways that sometimes your normal schedule doesn't allow, right? And so I wrote down some things that that I was able to reflect upon in, in times of being able to just sit and listen to God and reflect upon truths that He has taught me in the past i had a, I had an opportunity to do this yesterday driving home like I said lauren wasn 't feeling well, and so she was sleeping a lot of the time and so for you know about five and a half hours i'm i 'm just able to think and to meditate and to, and to spend some time praying and reflecting upon who God is in my life and and why I would echo what Peter says that where else would I go when times are difficult, when times are confusing, where else would I go? Because I do believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so I began to really kind of wrestle and think through, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to say that he has the words of eternal life? What, what words has he given to me that I've really hitched myself to and really cling to so that when I'm going through difficult times, when things don't make sense, or when I come across difficult teachings in scripture, that they don't make me walk away, right? Like there's, a, there's kind of a confusing passage in chapter seven where Jesus says, I'm not gonna do something and then he does do it. And you're like, whoa, like what happened there? Um, that, that, that we don't run from those passages. We say, you know what? I need to be changed by these passages. I need to understand Jesus better in these passages. What are some of the words of life that Jesus has given to me that cause me to cling to him rather than to walk away from him when times are difficult? And I wanna share seven of those things with you today. We'll go through them rather quickly, but these are things that I think would be helpful for you to hang on to as well. With the intention of you spending some time this week reflecting on some additional things, right? Like this is not a comprehensive list. These are just some things that I began to jot down this week and, and meditate upon this week. Things that really stand out to me, things that I've learned in scripture that I cling to during times of difficulty, reasons that I don't wanna walk away from Jesus. Number one, My circumstances are tied to his good sovereignty. For our kids, God works things out in my life for good. My circumstances are tied to his good sovereignty. Right? Romans 8.28 is a very familiar passage to us. It's certainly one that we come back to consistently here at Sovereign Hope because of what it says, that he works all things for good to those who love him those who are called according to his purpose, that that we can trust that he is constantly working good for us in every situation in our life. The key being that that he proactively does this versus reactively doing it, right? It's not just that he he takes things that comes into our life and tries to spin it and, and make something good out of it, right? Like he's not repurposing a bunch of bad stuff and trying to come up with something good out of it. Right, it's not to, to 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 borrow from Toy Story Four. It's not like he takes trash and, and tries to make something good out of it. Right, like he's he's proactively doing this. He's not reacting to things that have happened in our life. He proactively designed everything in our life and brings good purposes out of some of the bad that comes into our life. Right, and so for me, really one of the one of the the, the the grounding truths for me as to why I stay with Jesus and why I continue to follow Jesus and why I don't walk away from Jesus is a strong belief that he works good in every situation for me. And I can believe that he can because I believe that he's sovereign. The idea of sovereignty being that he possesses the power and the ability to work good in every situation. It's not just that he desires to work good in every situation, he actually possesses the omnipotence, the all-powerful ability to work good in every situation. He's omniscient in that he knows everything so he has the the mental capacity to to use the power that he possesses to work all things for good. It's not just that he has a bunch of power and he's throwing things up against a wall in hopes that, that in his power, he finds a way to make good. His omniscience allows him to use that power. His all-knowing ability allows him to use his wisdom and his knowledge. He uses that power to bring about good in our life, right? Every situation, every bad situation, he brings good out of it. And we've got different people who represent different bad situations in, in our church here, even. You know, whether that's divorce, whether that's death, Different hard situations represented within our church, and God brings good into each one of those situations. And if we haven't seen it yet, it doesn't mean that it's not there. He's promised good in every situation. Number two, my provisions and lack of provisions in life are tied to a great father who gives the right gifts talking about reasons that people abandon him and walk away from him and don't follow him any longer. Sometimes it's because our circumstances are disappointing. Right? We've asked God for things and he doesn't give them to us. Or he gives us things that we certainly never asked for. And in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus helps us to see the goodness of God in the things that he gives to us. Ask and it will be given to you Right? The correlation that he's making here is that even evil fathers, evil meaning that we are sinful, flawed, imperfect, even fathers know how to give good gifts to their children despite their sin. How much more does a holy heavenly father know how to give good things to his children when he's not tainted by sin? Right? Who would give their child a serpent when they ask for a fish? right? Or for our family, who would who would give their son a jellyfish when he wants to play with a fish, right? So this week, um, we did a lot of fishing, and, and my boys love to play with the fish that, that we catch, and um, Adam and I got ambitious one day, and we decided to walk out to the first sandbar, and then he was going to kayak my bait out past the second sandbar to see what we could catch, right? Um, and Abram wanted to go with us, because um, Abram, fell in love with fishing this week. And so me and him stayed out late at night, just me and him fishing together. And so we asked if he could go to the first sandbar with us. And so we put him in a float. He had his floaties or his life jacket. He's out there with Papa and, and we're, we're shark fishing on the sandbar, right? Um, and all of a sudden the line starts moving and, and I reel it up and I've got like a baby shark, right? And so Abram's kind of freaking out about it because he loves fish or whatever, right? And um, then all of a sudden I heard Abram scream, like, I've never heard any of my kids scream before. I mean, we, we had drifted way down the beach, and it was a blood-curdling scream to the point that, like, my worst nightmare flashed through my mind that here we are shark fishing on the sandbar, and somehow, like, a shark has shown up on the sandbar. I mean, I look at Abram, and he is just completely freaking out, right? And it turns out that a jellyfish had wrapped its tentacles around his leg, right? And I mean, he just, he just can't get it off, and so Papa's able to, to rescue him, but in the process, he gets stung, right? I certainly would have never taken Abram out to the sandbar to fish with him if I knew jellyfish were out there. I would never take my son who's asking for a fish and bring him to a jellyfish who's going to only create harm for him, right? I'm a, I'm a good father, as best I can be, but I'm a sinful father, Right, But even in my sin and my selfishness and my pride and all the things that God is still working on me in, I know the difference between good and bad gifts. right? And I would never bring a bad gift intentionally to my son. And so Jesus just says, man, how could we ever accuse God, our father, who is not tainted by sin, of ever giving us something bad or withholding something that's good for us? He's a good father who gives us not just good gifts, but gives us the right gifts. This is something that um, AJ and I are still kind of working on. Um, AJ has a love for stuffed animals, right? Like just loves them. We go into any store and AJ can find a stuffed animal that he wants, right? And so AJ and I are working on an understanding that we don't just get every stuffed animal that we want because I know how many stuffed animals AJ has and I know how long he cares about them not real long, that that he kind of cycles through new stuffed animals. And so he can have one and I can spend hard earned money on it and it'll be discarded within a couple of weeks and there'll be a new one. Um, And so I'm, I'm trying to teach AJ understanding that sometimes I withhold things from him because I know what he's going to do with it. I know that it doesn't justify spending the money on it because I know it's not really a good gift for him that there are better gifts that I can give him that he will treasure for longer, that will be more useful to him. Jesus says, we've got a great father, a much better father than any earthly version that we've ever seen. And even these earthly versions understand good gifts and good provisions. How much more does our heavenly father? My circumstances are tied to his good sovereignty, my provisions and lack of provisions, the things that he gives me and the things that he doesn't give me, are tied to him being a great father who gives the right gifts. Number three, my identity is tied to what my creator says about me. For our kids, God defines who I am. My identity is tied to what my creator says about me. We are so prone to try to find our identity in other things, specifically created things, Do you ever look for something in creation to define who you are? I, you know, I shared with you, I guess it's been two years now, um, that that I had to take a massive step back in my coaching career with football because I was so wrapped up in finding my identity in the success of coaching football, that that I was craving it, I was feasting on it, I was thirsting for it, that it was more important to me than than my identity in Christ, really, that what a group of dads felt about me on a Friday night was more important than what Christ had to say about me. And it was a battle that I was continually losing to the point that I said, you know, I got to retreat from this. I can't, I can't manage it anymore. I've got to get out and I've got to move myself out. And so I, I took a position on the staff that gets no credit, like no glory, like um, no appreciation. Um, and it allows me to do the things that I should be doing as a coach, and that's investing in the lives of, of the, the student athlete without getting a whole lot of credit for it because my flesh couldn't handle the success of it. And, and I was finding my identity in those things. I'm not defined by success at work or at home, and I'm not valuable based on my ability to, to have a spouse or to have kids or to drive nice cars or to buy expensive houses or to enjoy grand vacations. Instead, my identity is tied to what Christ has to say about me. And I read this article and I wanted to actually read it to you guys because instead of picking out one or two verses that that highlight the identity that we find in Christ, this guy kind of summarizes a lot of what the New Testament and even some of the Old Testament has to say about us, what scripture has to say about us from our creator's perspective. It says, I'm the creator and you are my creation. I breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. I created you in my own image. My eyes saw your unformed substance. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know the number of hairs on your head and before a word is on your tongue, I know it. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were more valuable than many sparrows. I've given you dominion over all sheep and oxen and all beasts of the field and birds of the heavens and fish of the sea. I've crowned you with glory and honor as the pinnacle and final act of the six days of creation. However, from the very beginning, you exchanged the truth about me for a lie. You worshiped and served created things rather than me, the creator. You've sinned and fallen short of my glory. Just as I said to Adam and Eve, the penalty for your sin is death. And in your sin, you were spiritually dead. You were children of wrath, living as enemies to me. You turned aside from me. You became corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. What you deserve is my righteous judgment. And yet in my great love, I gave my unique son, that all those who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still hostile towards me, you were reconciled to me by the death of my son. Sin doesn't have the last word, grace does. Now everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. You will, you who have believed are born again. I have adopted you. You are children of God, heirs of God. You are no longer orphans. You belong to me and I love you as a perfect father. In my eyes, you are a brand new creation. The old is past, passed, the new has come. Sin is no longer for your master, for you died to sin and are now alive to me. You are finally free from the slavery of sin and death. There is now no condemnation for you. All your sins are forgiven. All your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You are now righteous in my sight with the very righteousness of my perfect son. You've been saved by grace. You've been justified by faith. You are utterly secure in me. Nothing will be able to separate you from my love in Christ Jesus. No one is able to snatch you out of my hand, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. You not only have a new father, but also a new family of brothers and sisters. You are now part of the people of God, and together the life you now live is by faith in my Son." Look to Jesus, keep your eyes on him. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. Christ is in you by my spirit and you are in Christ. Stay close to Jesus, abide in him for your life is found in him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't live by your own power or understanding. No, live by the spirit within you. Remember, I have given you the Holy Spirit to be with you and in you. The spirit will guide you into all truth, help you to obey him and empower you to do my work. As you seek me and see more of my glory, I am transforming you into the image of my Son. One day you will be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet sound. When Jesus appears, you will be like him because you shall see him as he is. You will be delivered from your body of death through Jesus Christ. Your dwelling place will be with me, and I will wipe away every tear from your eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. You will drink from the spring of the water of life without payment, and I myself will make for you a feast of rich food and well-aged wine. You will enter my rest, inherit the kingdom I prepared for you, and step into fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. But most of all, you will see my face and be with me where I am. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. You are no longer darkness, but light in my Son. Walk as children of light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, I have called you, I've chosen you. You are now a saint, a servant, a steward, and a soldier. You are a witness and a worker. Through Jesus, you are victorious. You have a glorious future. You are a citizen of heaven. You are an ambassador for my son. That's not just true about me as a believer, that's true about you as a believer. That's better than anything that any group of dads could ever say about me on a Friday night, right? It's better than any boss could ever say about you at your job. It's better than anything your spouse could ever say about you. It's better than anything a kid could ever say to you, right? So oftentimes we try to find our identity in these things that are created by God. We fail to realize that we have the greatest identity that we could possibly ever have, that our Creator has given us that value and given us that identity. Number four, my salvation is tied to the righteousness of Christ, not my performance. He's got the words of life. Jesus comes giving us information that that we don't have to work for our salvation, that that our performance doesn't determine our salvation. Philippians 3.9 talks about being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that's found only in Christ, a perfect righteousness. I put in my notes that my greatest failures and my greatest feats are, do not contribute or detract from my salvation. My greatest failures and my greatest feats do not contribute or detract from my salvation. I don't want to walk away from Jesus because he does have the words of eternal life. And some of those words contain the truth that it's his righteousness and not my own that saves me. Number five, my responsibility to obey is tied to good commands that protect me. For our kids, I am called to obey God's commands, which are good for me. I can't think of any command that we've been given as Christians that I don't see the goodness behind it. Now, it doesn't always mean that I choose it, but if I'm just sitting down and thinking about what has Christ called me to do, what has Christ given me to do, I can see the goodness behind all of it. What has Christ told me that I can't do or that I shouldn't do or that I should avoid? And I can see the goodness behind that as well. Jen and Adam and I were talking this week about the, the need for our kids sometimes to understand the why behind some of our instructions to them. That, that, it, that sometimes it will help them carry it out or to submit to it when they understand some of the why behind it. They still may not agree with it, but sometimes just having the why behind some of it will help give clarity and understanding and context for why we as the parent are asking them to do a certain thing. When we think about God's commands, God hasn't just come up with arbitrary things for us to do and not do as believers. I mean, he's given us a, a, a manuscript for how to enjoy this world particularly in its fallen state to its fullest with instructions about how to interact with each other and how to guard and protect each other and how to guard and protect ourselves and the enemy would pervert that and have us think that that he's wanting to limit us that's that's satan's ploy in the garden of eden right that that you should be eating of this tree how dare god withhold this from you it's it's good to the eyes it's going to be good to the taste and yet we find that all the trees were good to the eyes and good to the taste, right? The enemy would have us to believe that the commands of God are restrictive, and yet when we really stop and pause and examine them, we find that they are very freeing in that they allow us to enjoy his creation properly. In 1 John 5, 3, we are told that his commands, our obedience to his commands are a sign that we love him. And they're commands that are not burdensome to us, is what John says. We don't, we don't find them as something that we have to do. They're restrictive upon us. That, that as Christians, when we've been made alive, Holy Spirit living inside of us, we begin to see the goodness behind his commands. My responsibility to obey is tied to good commands that protect me. Number six, my freedom from fear, worry, and anxiety is tied to a God who never leaves me for our kids, and we'll never have to worry because Jesus is always with me. I think I've shared this before. You know, I've sat through a lot of sermons in my life. I've preached a lot of sermons in my life now, and there's probably a handful of them that I remember, right? Like, just the, the capacity for my brain to remember the amount of sermons that I've, I've taught and listened to, just not there for me. And so, There's there's a handful, maybe two handfuls that I could remember, and one of them that I remember distinctly, and I tried to reteach it my first sermon when I taught at at, uh, the church that I grew up in back in ninth grade, I think. Uh, We did like a youth service, and I preached my very first sermon. It literally lasted five minutes, I think. I have it on cassette tape, right? Um, I tried to re-preach this guy's sermon, and I I really— really dumbed it down and packaged it down into a five-minute sermon. Um, but we were at a summer camp. Some of you have heard about this summer camp before. I've told you about it where, where we, couldn't, we couldn't swim in shorts. We, we had to swim in dress pants, and the girls had to swim in dresses. It was like a modesty uh, thing for them. And just kind of a weird camp in general. Um, but the thing that I remember most about this camp is this guy got up and preached, and I was in sixth grade, I think, and he taught from Philippians 4-6 about our our need to not worry and to not be anxious. And at that, up until that point in my life, I was worrying and anxious about everything in my life. My mom documented it in some of her baby books that she had. And when I started to, to get old enough to talk and to reason, that, that she made notes about the fact that I worried a lot as a little kid, always worrying about things. And I remember this was a life-changing sermon for me because I'd never heard Philippians 4, 6 at that age. And, and to have it taught in such a way to realize that I don't have to worry and be anxious that I can be prayerful about everything, and that God gives me every reason not to worry and to not be anxious, right? And so um, my freedom from fear and worry and anxiety is tied to a God who never leaves me. Philippians 4, 6, that we, we can be prayerful about our anxieties and not worry. That, that Hebrews 13, 5 says that we should be free from a love of money, that we can be content with what we have because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. So I don't have to worry because Jesus is always with me. And then number seven, my greatest enjoyment of life is tied to things coming rather than things present. My greatest enjoyment of life is tied to things coming rather than things present. Am I disappointed with my circumstances sometimes? Absolutely. Like there's been plenty of things that have happened in my life that I would have not chosen. There's been times where I've questioned God and his goodness and and, and not been able to see why he was doing the things that he was doing. But I've also come to realize that when my circumstances are bad, that it's a reminder to me that even when my circumstances are good, that the best is still to come. That even when life is at its best, right? So when, when things aren't good for me, the opposite would be for them to be the best that they can be for me right now. And that even at its best on this earth, it still pales into comparison to what's to come, right? And I mean, I love going on vacation. I love going to the beach on vacation. Um, I love the, the more slow-paced aspect to it in regards to life, I loved that i didn 't watch a single ounce of television all week. Um, I loved that well I loved that i wasn 't checking my email. I hated the fact that when I did check my email, the amount of emails that were there. but I loved not being tied to my email all week right. I loved being able to to enjoy time with my kids that felt very unrushed. Um, Vacation to me almost feels like what, what life was meant to be and that it's not free from work like there's plenty of work that we had to do on vacation <laughs> like you have to get up early to get a spot on the beach or else you're not going to be sitting near the ocean because everybody'll beat you down there right so there's worse work to be done but it's, it just feels like good work and it feels like enjoyable work and but even on vacation it comes to an end right like wake up today my wife's sick um trying to get my kids out the door to church. Every single one of them had to go number two uh, right when we're walking out the door, right? Like it's a good reminder, like vacation's over. Here we are back to normal life, right? The best of times here on this earth, they all come to an end, right? Vacation always comes to an end. Best circumstances come to an end. It's a reminder to us there's coming a day where the best things don't come to an end, right? So when we think back on why do people walk away from Jesus? Well, sometimes they get disappointed in their circumstances, Man, even if I wasn't disappointed in my circumstances, the best is still to come. So I would echo what Peter says. Lord, where am I gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. Are there times where I'm disappointed and and frustrated and and confused about my circumstances? Absolutely. There's times where I step back and throw my hands up and say, I don't know what you're doing here, God, and I don't know how you're gonna turn this into good. But I keep responding like Peter and I say, but where else would I go? like this certainly isn't a reason to to doubt you and to leave you where else would i go you do have the words of eternal life right like you're sovereign and i know you're going to work good even if i don't see it right now you're you're going to provide for me or withhold things from me because you're 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 the best father who understands the right gifts to give me right why would i leave and try to find my identity somewhere else when my creator says the best things about me why would i leave and and potentially put myself in a situation where, where my performance is how I'm defined, right? That instead, I wanna stay in a, in a place where, where Christ's performance defines me and Christ's performance secures me. Why would I, why would I leave for the things of this world that, that Christ is trying to protect me from because these things are good that he calls me to do and to not do? Why would I step into a situation where now fear and worry and anxiety be, become a part of my life? Why, why would I, I wanna leave the sovereign king who takes care of me? And again, when, when circumstances are disappointing and, and frustrating and confusing, it's a reminder that the best things, the best things are still to come. The greatest earthly joys always end at some point. The best things are still to come. From an application standpoint, I want you to spend some time this week reflecting in your own way on the specific truths of scripture that you find life in, that, 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 that you find encouraging in your own personal walk? These are seven things that I wrote down that are, that are really important to me. These certainly aren't the only seven things that scripture teaches, right? What are some of the things that are important to you? When you put yourself in Peter's spot and you say, Lord, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. If, if that had been me and Jesus said, what do you mean by words of eternal life? These are the things that I would share with him. This is why I'm not leaving you because I find my identity in you. I find my, my security in you. You give me reason to, to, to rest and to find peace. I don't worry. I'm not anxious. I fully trust that you work good in every one of my bad situations. I know you're gonna, you're gonna withhold bad things from me and give me the right things. Like you have the words of eternal life. These things are tied to the fact that I am a believer in you and I get to enjoy all of these promises because I enjoy eternal life with you. So put yourself in Peter's spot. You echo Peter and say, Lord, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. What are some of those key truths that are words of eternal life for you? Spend some time meditating on those this week. Allow those things to be your source of encouragement when you face trials and difficulties this week. Remind yourself of these words of eternal life. Allow them to help sustain you through some of those times. For our family worship questions this week, which of the words of eternal life that I mentioned do you find most helpful and encouraging to you? And then as a family, you can discuss other truths and promises that can help us during difficult times as well. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we praise you and thank you that you did a supernatural work in us to draw us to Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that you have given us the ability to believe and to trust. You continue to give us the ability to believe and trust every single day. God, we're thankful that Jesus is our ultimate source of fulfillment, that he can guard us from hungering and thirsting ever again. God, help us to see that in Jesus. Help us to believe that about Jesus. Even when we find ourselves in times of confusion and difficulty, when our circumstances aren't what we would have chosen, when we're having a hard time agreeing with you about how you're doing things, God, I pray that we wouldn't walk away, that instead we would... We would say what Peter says, and that's, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. God, help us to cling to these words of eternal life. Help us to cling to these truths that have been mentioned today. We thank you that you're a sovereign God who works things for your good. We thank you that you proactively work for our good, that you don't just react and try to come up with a good plan, that your plans are always in place. We thank you that you're a good Father who who gives us the right gifts at the right time. God, we thank you that our identity is completely wrapped up in who you say that we are. God, we're so grateful that salvation is not about our performance because we would fall well short of your glory. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our righteousness. Thank you for giving us reason to, to find rest and peace and to find freedom from worry and anxiety. God, thank you for giving us insight into the things that we should and shouldn't be doing. God, thank you for not just blindly placing us here on this earth and expecting us to figure out how to to best interact with each other. God, thank you for giving us rules and parameters and commands that allow us to enjoy this life and to be protected from things that would harm us in this life. God, thank you for planning something better than the best this life offers. Thank you for giving us a hope of a future that will never come to an end. And God, as, as we read in Scripture, we know that, that that future has a lot of things in it, but God, help us to see that ultimately our future is about being with you. And God, help that to sustain us this week, the coming weeks, the coming months, when we're, when we're going through difficult times and difficult situations and we're tempted and being tried. Would help us to cling to you, cling to the words of life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.savhope.org. Again, that's www.savhope.org.